Kia ora mai whanau. it is that time again. I'm very excited for today's kōrero, uh, because this is a kōrero where I honestly didn't know enough. But that was the whole reason why I wanted to have this kōrero. I had seen what had been going on, I had seen the bro in the news, and I just knew I had to help out somehow. Uh, but I was apprehensive. I was worried that, to be honest, I was worried that he'd be angry, that I didn't know all this stuff already. And nothing could be further from the truth, Fano. Have you ever felt lost? Perhaps not Māori enough? Or that you're nothing more than your job title? Kaitiaki Zane Wedding, who had slept in one of the trees in Auckland at Avondale Canal Road for more than 60 nights continuously last year, was arrested after climbing a fence that blocked the Avondale site from being accessed by land stewards. While his armour may have been broken during the whole ordeal, his wairua spirit has definitely not been broken. Here I get to quarter with the bro in regards to why saving these trees is so important to the mental health, identity and environment of all New Zealanders, not just Tangata Whenua. He shares his journey from being homeless at 14 from Auckland Southside and how a connection to the environment, more specifically trees, helped him find his place in the world and how he wants these trees to remain so that knowledge and that sense of connection can be ascertained. We exchange pūrāko that are evidence of the scientific thought processes that Pacific people have had the ability to pass on from generation to generation. Even if you cannot be bothered checking out this episode, Fano, please head along and click the links that are attached in regards to signing the petitions, checking out the Facebook page, and also signing the uh, becoming part of the newsletter so you can be kept up to date with everything that is going on with SaveOurTrees.nz. Check it out, Fano. This is Zane Wedding, Te Pū o Te Rako, The Essence of Trees. Right here on Beside. Well, Fano, I am very excited uh, to be talking to the bro here this afternoon or this morning, really. Um, I have to admit, this co-papa, I am a little bit behind the ball on, um, which is a big reason why I wanted to have a quarter door. Well, one of the co-papa, I should say, that we'll eventually be speaking about, of course. So, kia ora mai, brother. Could you please just uh, introduce yourself quickly for our whānau listening and watching? Uh, kia ora te whānau. Uh, ko Zain tuku ingoa. Uh, ko Ngāti Pukiao tuku, tuku iwi. Uh, ai, ai. <laughs> Ka whai, bro. So, very, very basic start off. Uh, where are you from, bro? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? All that sort of stuff. Uh, so, brother, child of South Auckland. Uh, my whole life, I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> just just grew up around. Uh, went to Aldi College and grew up around Mangere my whole life. So yeah, South Auckland to the bone. Mean bro. Let's talk about that because because South Auckland has all sorts of connotations and kind of um, negative stigmas and stuff like that attached to it. But every person I speak to, bro, is super super proud to be from there. So it can't all be that bad. Oh, yeah, bro, like, uh, bro, the melting pot of South Auckland is something that you have to experience. Uh, the bit, like, it's, it's definitely the biggest blessing for me in my life is to just grow up around culture uh, and to stay connected with that culture, not just, uh, you know, te ao Māori, but uh, tangata ole moana, like my Pacific peoples, just growing up around them, uh, it differentiates you from a, a large uh, proportion of, uh, especially Tamaki Makoto culture. And so therein, you just become very proud to have that understanding of the tangata that you're surrounded by. 
I think that's a big thing too, bro. Like coming from, um, you know, a smaller place, a regional town, I'm, I'm based in Taranaki in New Plymouth. And it's the big thing that I always notice is um, a lot of, when I, when I catch up with Auckland whanau and friends, um, they're a lot more worldly, even if they haven't traveled, they're a lot uh, more aware that it's more than just New Zealand that exists in the world. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, growing up in South Auckland, it's a struggle you all go through together. And that familiarity with that struggle of what, you know, to be uh, even just deemed the South Aucklander sometimes can be marginalizing for you. So everyone understands that that is in uh, this area. And so, you know, that just draws you all closer together. But no matter where I've been around the world, like I just carry Southside with me. I'm real proud to be able to do that. I mean, bro, what besides being, I guess, more um, in tune with the world or open to, to the happenings of the, of the world globally and the lessons that they brought you, what else has it taught you coming from that community? Because so in relation to... In relation to the Kaupapa Bay, uh, in particular, so by South Auckland is the least uh, covered area with Rako in New Zealand. And when you grow up in an area like this, just like I did, I had no real connection to nature. It wasn't until um, I ended up getting expelled from school and became an arborist that I started to realize like uh, how little nature we are surrounded by in. South Auckland. So to give you just like an idea, uh, Māngere and Otahuhu in particular, we have 8% uh, tree coverage in Māngere and Otahuhu. And if you compare that to somewhere like Rimuera, Rimuera sits around the 20% mark. And so when you grow up in South Auckland, like you are, you're growing up in that concrete jungle, even more so for the tamariki who grow up there now. And that's something that I'm like really aware of is how hard it is to get tamariki of uh, South Auckland to connect with nature, even though by and large, like our, our cultures are made up of, you know, large percentile Māori, large percentile Tangata Pacifica, and those cultures innately should be connected to nature. Like we have this kind of uh, connection just because of our culture to have that, uh, inside us but it's not around us and so that's one of the big things that i fight for is for people within our communities to kind of like realize that hey man they're doing this to us intentionally we're getting placed in these concrete jungles with no connection to the stuff that is most important to us you know like nature tangata whenua i am a person of this land rako is connected to that and that's where the kaupapa becomes really meaningful to me to ensure that large trees are still in the areas like Mangiri and Avondale and these like lower decile areas for want of a better term. So let's talk more about that then, bro. What what is the um, what are the importance? I mean, you you try to touch on it, but it is real hard to define, right? Like that that innate relational. Um, element that tangata whenua have to the taiao and all those places can you dive into that a bit i guess what you think I, what you believe so the thing is uh you know i understand that that is not the way that it is for everybody like not every single maori is just going to have this innate connection to uh tikanga maori maori but that's how it was for for me 
And I know if it's like that for me, then there's other uh, tamariki within South Auckland that ha will have that same thing. And that connection, it saved me. Like I was bumming around in South Auckland just being your normal kind of like not having a life kid. And it wasn't until I found arboriculture and uh, Ngārāko that I actually found a way out. And even though uh, I'm, I still live in Māngere and I'm always be proud of South Auckland, I'm just talking about being impoverished in that way. And it was that connection to nature that I was instantly like, this speaks to my culture. Uh, it speaks to who I am. And there are just so many other people that are like that within these communities that unless they have Ngārāko growing around them, they will never be able to find that in a way that I was really, really lucky to be able to. Uh, but it's the it's the pūrāko, so the stories that are connected to Ngārāko, to the trees, uh, that really got me. And one in particular is one of the ones that was, so Tamaki Makoto, we just have uh, not a lot of trees and they've been getting removed at a wicked rate since 2012. And at Canal Road where this protest began was the last two maire uh, in Tamaki Makoto. They'll probably be the last two maire left uh, from Tamaki Makoto to Cape Reanga. And that there is a story behind that tree. Tane Mahuta, when he separated Papatuanuku and Ranginui, he placed Maire at the crotch of Ranginui to stop them from joining. And so there is Matauranga connected to that. Maire is the slowest growing tree, it's the hardest wood. It's that way because it holds up Ranginui. And when I, went to, when I went to Canal Road, I went there to not just protect that living 100-year-old Maire, the last one left in Tamaki Makoto, but to protect that Pūrāko so I could take my toita to a place like that and be able to teach them that. And that exists for all native Rako. There is a story like that for the Kodi, for the Pohutukawa. And it's really important to me. That was in Avondale. Avondale is in, incredibly similar to South Auckland low tree coverage and they had this small tonga there that had the mighty that has the car walker some of the last ones left in auckland they hold this matauranga i'm able to teach it there and so it was so imperative that we kind of defended that area in 2021 there are no protections for trees in auckland stands of trees like that and that's wrong and that's where a whole bunch, not just because of Matauranga Māori and the connections to that, but because these are 100, 200, 700 year old living entities that deserve to be protected. Kete Marama? Hi bro, bro I'm, I'm, with, I'm so blessed to be having this corridor with you because I'm, I'm getting binded into the importance. I mean, I knew the importance, but understanding, I mean, I'm obviously not there, bro. I'm down here in Taranaki. Uh, um, I, so, so that is the big thing for me. I. I, I, I definitely want to advocate and I definitely want to total call, but understanding what's actually going on is important before I do that. And that was a big reason for wanting to speak with you too, because I want to get on the waka, but I'm not going to get on the waka until I have a full scope of kind of what is actually happening on the ground. I totally understand that. And so, you know, one of the big things in this space is that I understand not every tree 
has the same amount of reverence behind it. So when you uh, design a framework to protect these living entities, you know that you have to take into account all the different things. Yes, we definitely need houses and sometimes trees have to be removed for houses, but do we have to remove tonga? Mm. Uh, do we have to remove these like the last of their kind, hundreds of years old that allow us to delve into a world that was almost lost to New Zealand? These, these puraka that I understand, they're so important for me to teach to like my tawira that come from South Auckland that just don't brother, like uh, I've never stepped foot on my marae. It's something that I long to do, but there is a disconnection for urban Māori that some people just uh, don't quite understand. And we, we long to have that connection to te ao Māori and Canal Road in particular, in particular was the place that I could share those things with young students from within South Auckland, Avondale. They deserve that. And this small grove of trees, there's actually, they're actually building a kaianga order just across the road. So this, this grove of trees that we were trying to protect, we were trying to protect for those children who will grow up in kaianga order and have those same things that I didn't have. Like they weren't there now. There's no trees for them to draw that connection to, to nature. In those trees, one of the things, you know, if a person kills a kiriru in the bush, everyone's up in arms. But these trees house generations and generations and gener generations of kiriru, kiriru that should fly amongst the housing of uh, kainga order so that the tamariki can see those. And I know it's like a romantic idea and stuff like that, but it's actually really uh, tangible. It's real. If people get to grow up listening to the tui rather than the chainsaw, they're going to have a much better connection with nature. Mm. You mentioned a lot these Puraka and bro that you're protecting the Puraka and the Pocky Whitesada and things of the stories within the trees. How did you come to know those stories or who taught you or how did that come to be? Ah, uh, um, I just research, you know. But my um so my nephew is named Mighty and his father, uh, he's an artist, quite a prolific New Zealand artist actually. And that's where I learned that story, you know, uh, the story of Cody and Tohura, you know, the connection, how Cody and the whale are brothers and the, the, the whale coated Cody in his skin before it went into the ocean. And, you know, then you talk about, when you tell uh, these Purako, uh, these are not myths to me. There is actually, you know, like for, for me, this is like history, knowledge, like, but, you know, it's actually proven that like whales were on earth at one point and returned back to the ocean. And that is a story like that's, you know, uh, scientifically proven, but that is a story that has existed within Te Ao Māori forever. Yeah. Forever. We've known these things, this mātauranga Māori, you know, and now in 2021, we're able to use like momona or so the fat of whales to help treat uh, Cody dieback. This mātauranga is like, it's real. It exists in the real world today. And it's something that I'm incredibly proud of as a Māori to be able to share those kinds of things. And that's why I just kind of go out and research. At the moment, I'm researching the, uh, the Puraco or Punga, like uh, all insects come from the panga. You know, and there are lessons to be learnt in those stories, but uh, to breathe life back into them is the most important thing. 
That's the most important thing in 2021 to be able to breathe life into these stories. And that's, you know, is, is really, really important. And that is connected to Ngārako or Aotearoa, the trees of New Zealand. Uh, but when we're talking about tree protection in particular, about two months ago, there was a, a bishop of Fera, like a, a bishop tree in Auckland that was cut down. There are only four of them. Bishop of Fera are what? Uh, Tangata Pacifica make their tapa cloth out of. So, you know, so like there's, it's special. These living uh, and breathing Rako trees, they're special. They, they represent a big part of not just my culture, but all cultures. And that deserves some kind of protection, like government formulated protection. So, so trees where there's only four of them left in New Zealand, it doesn't matter where they are that is considered and before you build a house you you ask yourself well can the developer afford to save this tree and yeah sure it takes a couple of hundred thousand off his bottom line but what is that in 2021 to these developers who are multi multi-millionaires you know what i mean yeah for sure there seems to be um well actually bro quick before we move on from that do is that tree native to aotearoa or was it brought over here with our pacifica whanau Aye, aye. So it was built, like this one was quite old. It would have been brought over here not long ago, you know, like a hundred years ago or something like that. Uh, you know, and so heaps of our arguments surrounding that. And this is something. So uh, Matahari Hari is a, there is a protest going on there in Auckland at the moment, and it's surrounding a tree that is four or five hundred years old. That tree existed prior to Te Triti. Is, it was a Tonga to Te Ao Māori prior to Te Triti. Te Triti means that we have, uh, we get to govern over our Tonga and we have no right over these things. Do you know what I mean? So there's just yeah. so many different, so many different issues connected to the tree protection movement, not to mention the climate change things, but every, all of this should be considered. The climate effects are definitely a big thing to consider, 100%. But Matauranga Māori, like Te Triti, all of these things should also be considered when we're dealing with these trees that predate European civilization here. That's a big thing that's standing out for me, both throughout our corridor, is that, um, I mean, obviously we'll probably get there and perhaps talk to that in terms of the environmental impacts of things, but it's it's definitely our connection to Te Taiao and stuff like that. It's, it's hard to quantify. And, well, actually, is it hard to quantify? Because it sounds like, there's a lot of studies or research to support um, from what, how you're speaking anyway, that, you know, our connection to nature and things like that is, uh, there's evidence that, you know, undeniably proves that our mental well-being and health is, you know, it correlates to our That's That's 100%. That's 100% true. That's 100% true. And, you know, in these spaces, we should have a voice. I mean, in all spaces, Te Ao Māori should have a voice, but, you know, in these spaces in particular, where we're dealing with these things that are so close to our knowledge base, the things that we're trying to restore, everybody knows that there are problems within the communities, uh, like within Tangata Whenua communities in New Zealand, and these are the, like, we have to be the ones who uplift us out of that place, and these Purako, they help uplift me out of poverty so i know they must be able to do that to other people yeah you know and that's what draws me to these co-puppers so much is like 
not only the fact that they're Rahui on the, these places and all of that, but it's just like, man, not everybody is fighting for these things that help change my life. So I better, you know, and that's that's Ngarako and Pudako all, to, all put together, you know. A big game changer for me, bro, in terms of my own life's journey and my and my sort of self-development um, was the realisation of Pudako not just being stories. Uh, you know, uh, you've spoken about it. I remember the, the story of creation, right? You've mentioned Tane um, and Ranginui and Papatuanuku and, and those sort of things. I remember it being an absolute game changer. For, so I went to a, a private school, Catholic school, um, I was one of five uh, Māori there at the time out of, you know, X thousand students. Um, so I was learning about, and I had come straight from Kurukaupapa. So I'd gone from straight to Kurukaupapa into this pretty different environment, bro. And they were talking about Big Bang Theory. And they were talking about how, you know, um, there was, you know, spontaneous combustion. Uh, there was darkness. And then all of a sudden there was life. And I was like, fuck, I've heard this before. Like, and then that's when I clicked, you know, there was Rangi and Papa and then Tane's actions exploded light Aye. into the world. And I was like, this is old. Like, you know, they're talking, about, they're talking about like, this is some genius thing that they've designed or discovered or theorized or researched. And I'm like, Naji, we've known that for a long time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, like, bro, I could go on and on and on about these Puraku that that are like that. And, you know, like... Uh, bro, give us another one. Give us one that you know of that's, that's special to you. So, bro, uh, the, the tamoko on my back is the is the Puraku of uh, the yellow flower in Pahutakawa, a tree that specifically comes from Motiti Island. And the Puraku, as I was told it, is uh, <sighs> Tangaroa and Tane Mahuta, you know, they were kind of like, they're brothers but they're like little bit enemies and they kept kind of like uh messing with each other and one day Tane decided to swim down uh into into Tangaroa's marae that was under the ocean and he stole the jewel from within Tangaroa's marae and he took that jewel and he placed it in the rako uh that is now Pohutukawa and there is a old fakatoki, you know, when the when the pahutakawa blooms, the kina will be fat. Mm. That is just telling us the connection between nature, uh, like between uh, Finua and Tangaroa. The the pahutakawa blooms, and the yellow flowering pahutakawa always blooms first. The blooms before uh, the red flowering pahutakawa, and it does tell us, like, yo, if the if it blooms early it will be a hot summer, you know, and all Pahutakawa grow along the coastlines. They're connected. They reach down into the ocean and they steal the jewel. The jewel of Tangaroa is Ngākai, you know, Kai Moana. It's telling you that when they bloom, the, the, the ocean is ready. These simple, simple connections, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, oh, that's a myth and a legend, Carl. It is an easy way for me to pass a corridor on intergenerationally. So people understand that when you see the, you know, you don't go picking the kinder all year round, but when you see it flower, all right, now is the time. Now is the time. The kinder are fat. You know, it's, there's, there's this balance to it. 
all of this is just so beautiful to me and it's beautiful to other Māori too and it's also beautiful to Tangata Triti like to our Pākehā whānau anyone who comes here and hears these things is not and cannot not be inspired by it and like it's like that's why brother for me to be able to be on a podcast like uh, like this and breathe life into some of this corridor is so important to me because I know that there's like young people out there who believe in this. Yeah, hundred percent. And even, um, but like that's the thing too. Like I know a lot. There's a lot of people like me who you know we love our tire, we love our fenua, but they're not on the ground with you in Auckland. So obviously right. there, there are certain. And perhaps they're self-perceived because, you know, if we believe in the fight, then just fight, you know, I, I feel like that sometimes, but I, I myself, I feel like I can't speak to a kaupapa if I don't have an understanding of, of the lay of the land of what's actually happening on the ground level. And that's why it was so important for me to have a corridor with you. All right. And, you know, like, so it is, Naraka is a very, very weird space for people to be in, especially for me. I'm an arborist. I love trees. I also uh, love Kopapa Māori, Tikanga Māori. So, you know, there are trees within Auckland where I haven't supported them remaining because they go against the the wairua or the uh, the will of what uh, mana whenua want. So you do have to be balanced in these spaces. You have to understand that when there's cultural restoration going on, sometimes ngarako have to go. You know, not all rako are the same in that way but for us to have no framework that dictates when it's right and when it's not it's just not the way for us to do things because we're stealing away from our people's tonga here you know i was going to ask that what makes the difference between arako that is a tonga and arako that is not how would you kind of speak well actually let me propose an idea bro because it is a weird question my thoughts now from our conversation, because I came into this corridor wanting to know the answer to that question, and I had no idea. But what I've gained so far from our corridor, and let me know if I'm right or wrong, is like, you know, it's an open discussion. All, all rako are taonga, but it is that, but it is that mana whenua, I guess the ambition or what they're wanting in their area, which defines which taonga are going to be the taonga to kind of make that sacrifice and become whare to look after tangata, because that in itself is the mahi of a taonga. And then the other Tonga stand and still tell those stories. Is there some sort of relativity there? What are your for color? Yeah, no, 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 definitely, definitely. And you know, like we have to understand that, you know, through through colonization, a lot of bad things happen. And some of some living uh living Tonga or Rako uh, representations to mana whenua of that colonization. And therein, like if that is the way that mana whenua feel, then who am I to stand in the way of them cutting those trees down? However, you know, uh, trees don't have to be amazingly spectacular for them to be like really special. There can be a really young tree planted by, let's say, Nelson Mandela, and instantly that tree is very special, becomes a living monument to Nelson Mandela, and there are tons of trees like that uh, in Aotearoa. You know, uh, in Tamaki Makoto, there is an amazing grove of trees, Te Uru Otapu. Uh, it's, in a grove, it's a grove of Pahutakawa. They're old, but they're not spectacularly old, but they used to be used for, um, 
for like burial process, they'd hang the bodies in these pahutakawa. And those, these spots are quite common across New Zealand. And, you know, as you go past Takapuna, you would be able to see all these hanging bodies like waiting for burial in these pahutakawa. Those trees are a living part of that iwi. You know, they it hung the bones of their people in it. So those trees are a tonga forever, you know, but then there are other trees that just do not have their specialness. But for us to not be going about and ensuring that we have found those tonga and deem them safe forever, it's like not fulfilling our obligations as being kind of good kaitiaki, you know, which is what... <sighs> It's what my tupuna wanted me to be, brother. When I was locked up uh, after, you know, the events of Canal Road when I got arrested, but I could feel my tupuna's arms around me, you know, like being locked in a cell isn't the nicest thing, but on that day, I knew I'd done the right thing. Uh, and that's something that I just want for people. I want people to have this feeling inside them that, yeah, you're being a good kaitiaki, you're looking after this place for the, for other generations because that was the will of my tupuna, you know? That's how, that's what I feel inside my wairua, brother. Yeah. And there's, there's a big thing, right? Like, I, I feel like part of that, well, actually, this is what I relate to and what you're saying there because, you know, you want, it sounded like, if I, if I understand correctly, you're just saying you want people to understand what their tupuna wanted for them in a matter of speaking. I, and I want people to understand they have value and a lot of people, a lot of our people, especially you mentioned colonization, they walk around where they're walking around lost or feeling like they have no value because the system has been put in place to tell them that they don't belong and that they have no value. And then doing this mahi and coming into these spaces, or not even just rako mahi, but any sort of mahi that is going to harpy us as mana whenua and things like that, that adds to that wairu and it helps them be found instead of remaining lost, right? That's 100% it, brother. That there is the key to it. It's the, you know, uh, that's what my that's what my tupuna wanted for me. But discovering that space for yourself is really important for just for everybody to just understand the exactly like you say, by giving value to these uh purako, pakiwaitara, that it adds value to to me as a Maori in this country. And that is something that has been undermined for since colonization is the value of what it means to be Maori in Aotearoa. Hard out, bro. So talk to me, like obviously what you can, I can understand if it's a work in progress and there's still stuff that you haven't worked out yet. And there might be some stuff you're unwilling to share because it would be something that I dare um, say people, certain people would want to appropriate can you tell us a little bit about the framework that you're putting together or that you that you know of in terms of our trees or is it something you're not even started yet it's just you know something that needs to be done no it is definitely something that needs to be done but uh because of how multifaceted it is it can't just be constructed by arborists this has to be like uh overseen by mana whenua it has to of of different areas uh architects all different arborists obviously all different types of people but to like the thing is we used to have a framework that existed in 2012 and up until 2012 every single tree that i've spoken about had a protection order again over it and then 2012 came along and the national government came along and they just like abolished 
those tree protections when they adjusted the RMA in the way that they did. So it's not too big of a stretch to actually just kind of go back to that model, but slightly adapted. Um, that's not a big ask. And those slight adaptions would definitely have to be the inclusion of mana whenua rights and all of those, you know, uh, at least their korero on those things. But there is a framework that has existed. And there are also different countries around the world that most of them actually that have these kinds of tree protection programs uh, or frameworks uh, already in existence. And we can model owls around that. People always talk about uh, high density housing. Well, look at somewhere like Singapore where that is the garden city. And if you've ever been there, like you can't see the buildings because of the trees everywhere. And they just have found a way to do high density housing. I'm not saying like, let's build like Singapore, not at all. <laughs> but what I am saying is they, they understand how to build and keep Ngārāko. And that's something that we should be doing. Our laws just can't keep empowering developers to do whatever they want, you know, and that's what they that's what they do. And having having no legal framework, it actually opens my industry as an arborist up to these kind of like predator companies who are willing to just uh, just cut down with whatever, with no ethics at all, um, undercutting the industry and not following health and safety regulations. And none of that existed before. 2012. In 2012, you couldn't touch a tree unless you had the right level of qualifications. And to have gone from 2012 to where we are now, in that short period of time, one third of Auckland trees have been removed. That is just, you know, so how long is it going to be before another third is gone? It's just happening at such a rapid rate that this legislation needs to happen real quickly. Man, that's fucked. Sorry, bro, but I don't know what else to say. Um, no, well, bro, like, and this is the thing. It's actually happening in, uh, it'll be happening where you are too. There will be, uh, in, in Taranaki, there will be trees that used to be protected that have been taken off, uh, like, the plan of protection. I know that in Matamata, they used to have 400 trees that was re reduced to 199 overnight when these, uh, when these changes to the RMA happened. And these are spectacular trees, you know, and, and no one... No one got a say in it. You don't know who these trees were planted by or, or uh, whether they were planted by anyone we know at all, whether they predate these, uh, you know, like European colonization or any type of uh, planting records. But there will be trees in Taranaki that were incredibly uh, meaningful and special that are probably not even there anymore because of that legislation change to the RMA. And that it happens all across uh, all across Aotearoa, and just people just aren't aware of it. Like I say, if you if you killed a dolphin in the harbour, everybody would care. And Kitamarama, I understand that, but these things are seven hundred year old tree, also living, also Tonga. We have to start. To, that's what my job is: is to start to get people to understand that these things are living, they, they are valuable, you know? What do politicians say when you get in front of them? Uh, oh, but it's this wicked finger pointing exercise because councils point back to, uh, councils point back to central government and they say, oh, no, nah, they need to change the RMA laws. And then 
central government points back to councils and they're like, oh, no. Nah. So, and a lot of the real problem is, you know, with this housing crisis that's going on, it's build houses no matter what. Yeah. And that's just not the way. It's just not, it's like not visionary. You know, we should be building houses, but we can build houses and retain our taonga, especially in these areas that need it the most. That's what Singapore does. That's right. Or, you know, and like just thinking about the fact like in Singapore, they have these special zones and uh, where, you know, you can't cut trees down in Mangere or Tahoe should be a place like that. South Auckland should be a place like that. Until we can have kind of like parity with a place like Rimueta, uh, like the richer areas where they have 22% tree coverage and we only have 8%, we shouldn't be removing the trees and like there should be a minimum threshold of let's say 18% for all areas across Tamaki Makoto. Is that not the kind of city that we want to build? We want to build something where it's like there's still greenery. It's not like LA or New York where you fly in and you're like, whoa, there's no trees anywhere, you know? Yeah, that's so ugly, bro. I, I remember that stood out to me immensely when I went to LA. Um, three things, the big spaghetti highway. I, two, uh, two, going up to the Hollywood sign and just looking out and seeing smog everywhere. Yep. And three, um, homelessness. Oh, bro, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Like, those things stood out for me. And, you know, like, this is the thing. Like, living in in Auckland my whole life but I don't want to see like the homeless situation was pretty bad in Auckland as it is but I don't want to see it, like us just trending in that direction you know um I want to see us just build this beautiful city that people are lucky to live in and you know that that values all the things that trees represent New Zealand has this this real danger right of becoming just like everywhere else we've always been special we've always because we've held on to things that we're talking about today but there's an obvious i mean oh yeah like there's we're kind of on a on a a precipice at the moment at a crucial stage where we need to and i guess i'm speaking here a lot to our our tongue and fertility too and even to those that are listening going who gives a fuck about trees because i know you'll be out there and, you know, kayakwe, that is your whakaro, but you got to understand that what keeps Aotearoa, Aotearoa is our DIY fighting spirit. Right, 100%. And, you know, like, right, everyone needs to keep thinking that. What keeps Aotearoa, Aotearoa? Do you know what I mean? Like, because that's that's what we should be. And especially our leaders, like our rangatira need to keep thinking that, uh, especially in these ways. That's why I'm so proud of some of the things that um, Te Pāti Māori have been doing recently, because they're really defining like the, the, uh, the things that we were meant to get uh, as part of Te Triti. And yeah. that is something that like, you know, that we're trying to head that in that direction to, to supporting that whakaro of like honouring Te Triti. And so we need people to kind of like just buy into the fact that we can build New Zealand to be the way that we want it to be, not just uh, in the likeness of another country, you know? And I think, like, speaking of Te Pāti Māori, bro, um, they, you know, they've got that tagline of being unapologetically Māori, but it's not just the tagline. They're obviously living it. They're calling out a lot of those 
things that have been normal, social norms, socially acceptable uh, in the House of Representatives, which then trickles down to the rest of Aotearoa. They're calling out the bullshit. And we're seeing, you know, I was having, um, I've had a couple other guests on this week, and we've talked about this renaissance that's happening with Te Ao Māori. I, it's it's rediscovering sorry not rediscovering its value because we've always known it's there the other side are waking up a little bit to the value that we have and associating yeah. the the ability that te ao maori and, and matauranga maori has to get us out of the shit that we're in at the moment and by shit i mean homelessness um you know lack of housing mental health know. all this sort of stuff Tell Māori can help with because it's all about, you know, community and connection to Taiwan. By one hundred percent, you know, like, um, you know, I cast my mind to to Pūtuki at the moment and the Rahui that they have there and uh, what they are trying to protect and uphold. And then, you know, when I think back to what happened at Canal Road that day, where there were like nearly a hundred police officers sent to move against us, there was a Rahui there too. And I know that for like Tangata Whenua, when you're put, put in a position to move against the Rahui, ah, oh, Carl, like you don't want to be doing that, you know, yeah. and these, these Māori uh, police don't even have the ability to kind of have a choice in that space. And like, I want to, I want to feel like the police uphold these things. That's a big part of, of New Zealand, you know, don't make them move against these places where there is a rahui on that place, you know, and that's like, that goes against tikanga Māori. Tikanga Māori should be upheld with the reverence of like religion, even more so in this country, like as law. And, you know, I don't want there to be a repeat of what happened at Canal Road at a place like Putiki especially not just for the kaitiaki, but for the pirihimana as well, because I don't like it when Māori police are made the face of moving against Māori issues. You know, it's always the same thing. And trying to let people know that, yo, that shouldn't be the way that New Zealand does things. If, if mana whenua have come out and said that there's the rahui here, that this is sacred, then oh, I'm sorry, guys, but this was a sacred cause. Government needs to intervene in those ways and not send, especially police officers, uh, police officers who don't believe in going to that place. That's just not the one. I was going to ask about that, bro, because it's quite apparent in a lot of the media. I've seen the footage. I've seen um, that. Obviously, you're you're passionate and you're heated in the moment of fighting. You know, and I don't <laughs> mean like fighting. I mean like. You know, fighting and, and trying to get these people to wake up, but you're especially passionate and heated when Maori police are there. And I wanted to ask where that come from, but I mean, you've answered that there. It comes because you know they're being put in a position that they shouldn't have to be in, and they're almost getting pawned to kind of like this. Um, Brother, it's age old, you yeah. know. And this is the thing, you know, when you look at somewhere like Ihimata and. Uh, what happened there? The front line, bro, with that, what did they just dig up every Tangata Whenua Māori officer from, from Wellington? Because that was what it was like in the first few days. Everyone there. And they were they, they made sure that they had their tamoko and all the photos. And you know, it was Māori against Māori. And I don't like that. And, you know, when my hand was broken, my hand was broken, my arm was broken uh when I went over the fence by security. And heaps of people have been like, oh, why don't you 
why didn't you prosecute that that security firm cop that is age old it's the same old thing it's like these uh impoverished brown people that are being made to work for people who have the money to put them in this position where they're breaking my arm bro uh, yeah i'm a victim but bro they're the weapon they're not the person who was wielding that you know so no i'm not going to go against them because this is age old using maori in this way to stand against whenua issues is really important to the cause of pirihimana and i know but there were people on that day who were swearing just being belligerent but what i said hurt feelings and that's why i'm getting done for disorderly conduct not to mention the fact that i am maori and to to some of these pirihimana who were there like you know that's dangerous for them to hear that type of stuff because some of them actually believe in it some of them that I was saying, like, you know, uh, you might have seen one of the videos where I've got, bro, you look hard, but your eyes look soft. This is getting through to you. I understand that because I want police to eventually be able to just stand there and say, hey, look, is there a rahui here? I don't want police to just be used in the same way that they have been used forever. I have the right to not move against the rahui. It's really important in this country that we don't just continue on these same age old things that have been happening through colonization so don't use just don't keep using police to steal whenua you know at, i know canal road people think that that was privately owned and it was a private but we were in the there were things in the works that were going to transfer ownership of that so we could keep those tonga for the tamariki of avondale and you know it was the police that stopped that from happening Police working for developers to take whenua away from a community that really, really wanted that. That's something that's really familiar in New Zealand, too familiar. And sometimes it's going to be the right time when there's rahui and mana whenua are in support of the kaupapa, then the police need to not be that way. And I look to Putiki and I pray that they will be treated like the people who went over the bridge and not the people who went over the fence at Canal Road. That's what I hope for. I hope that the that mana whenua from within Putuki get uh, get to actually implement that mana over that whenua, you know, and they don't have police stand in the way of that. So yeah, like it does, it really, really hurts my feelings or just, just hits me when I see these people standing against these things that they don't believe in. You know, especially when I can say to myself, standing up for what you believe in feels so good. I can only imagine what the opposite of that feeling feels like. It probably feels really shit, you know? It's almost like, like, do you have any siblings, bro? I, I. Are you an older brother? Carl, Carl. Are you the youngest? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you can probably still empathize with this too, because I come from that space too. Um, I'm, I, I have an older brother. And I see the frustration that he has with me when he sees me doing things that he knows aren't good and he just knows that they're not good because he's done it before, but he can't communicate to me why it's not good. And sometimes I just need to listen to him and trust him. That's yeah. similar to what you're speaking about, right? Like there's that frustration because you're seeing your whanau do things that you know aren't good for their wairua and you're almost just saying, look, just trust me, come with me this is the better way to do things but they're not listening and that and that hits you a little bit more that hurts a bit more i and you know like what i really are uh, actually by like the, the, the only time i can actually remember what the, the officer who sung at ihumata right that's what we need 
I'm not saying leave the police force. We are always going to have a police force. Be an influence of change within the police force that is supportive of these efforts. I totoko you being a police officer, mm. you know. Uh, but brother, I can tell you this: I went over the fence, and uh, when I went over the fence, security grabbed me, and there was one police, uh, one of the security. He actually held my head. And I was so lucky that it was him who held my head. And he was like, oh, you're a savage, bro. Why did you go? Why are you doing this? But at that time, uh, a bunch of other security, like one had my arm behind my back and broke my wrist. And the others were just stomping on me. And I was screaming out for help. And a female police officer turned and looked at me. And the most vivid memory is the look in her eye before she turned away because she was scared for me and I was scared. And as a police officer, no one signs up to be put in a position where they look at someone who's scared and they can't help. She turned away. So that memory that will live with me will live with her. And I just have to think that, you know, maybe she's a really good police officer who won't just last there. So she won't be that influence of change. And that's all that I hope for, for my like, my tangata whenua members of the of the police force is that they can help the police force kind of change a little bit and not be so kind of like racist in that way and you know think about these ways that they're moving against tangata whenua at the moment whether it be putiki or canal road or whatever you know mm. it's like a a story bro um since we're on the topic of Puraka, <laughs> there's a, um, a story that comes down from um, Whanganui Riverways, and it's in regards to um, a tanifa called Tutaiporoporo. Have you heard of that story before? How? Oh, but I'd love to, yeah. So in a nutshell, I'm not going to say it fully because I, I don't understand it fully and I don't want to disrespect our whanau from down there by saying it wrong. And there's, it's one of those Puraka that's got like eight different versions depending which quarter you ask all um, of them yeah yeah yeah. I, I like that how you said before the version that i was told because that's ah, ah, you know. <laughs> yeah, we always have to put that disclaimer in before we tell any of these stories because ah. someone's going to hear it and go that's not right that's not uh, the story yeah ah. anyway, you know, uh, like, i want tell me your story then because i want to know more you yeah, know you, like, you put it together right and then you get the ah, ah. story that you pass on so there's this um yeah, there was a, uh, a rangatira from down uh, Rangitike ways, and his name was, um, oh man, I, let's just call him, there was a rangatira down there, because I forget his name, and I don't want to get that part wrong, because names are important. A rangatira from down there, um, from Whanganui Riverways, uh, Whanganui Riverways, and he went down to um, Nelson on a fishing trip with some whanau and catch up with them, and on that fishing trip, um, he caught um, a shark. But then he realized that the shark was a little bit special. It wasn't your normal shark. So he kept it as a mokai, as a pet, um, wow. and he fed it. And then he took it back to Whanganui with him. And he, he decided to name it Tutai Poroporo. And what he um, he fed it, and it grew, and it got big, and it turned out to be a tanifa. So it was really good that he obviously didn't kill it when he killed it, and then he held on to it. Um, then what happened is this rangatira would come back every day. He kept them like, you know, in the shallows of the river and would come back every day, karakia with him, feed him until he got, you know, pretty massive. Uh, one day the rangatira didn't come back and he didn't come back because um, he had been in a fight, been in a war and he got killed. Uh, so Tutai Poroporo went looking for his, his master or his friend, um, went searched high and low, couldn't find him anywhere. 
and he kind of just knew innately within himself because of their connection that he had passed. Um, but as, as he had that realisation and thought, he caught a bit of wind um, and he got the scent of his, of his uh, hoa. And so he followed that scent and it led him to a spot in the Whanganui River where they had, um, they had his remains in a, in a umu in an oven because they had cooked him and, and eaten parts of him. And so he knew, okay, you fellas killed my master. I'm going to wreak havoc. So he spent time, days, months, maybe even years going up and down the river. And every time they went in there, like a hunting party or fishing party jumped in the water, they would disappear and they would be gone. And people were thinking, what's going on? Um, eventually they call out to put the word out. Hey, we need a Taniwha Slayer. Is anybody out there able to help? Um, they get a Taniwha Slayer down from Kaiwi, um, whose name is Te Aukihu. And what they do is they, long story short, they design a box, they carve out a box, they put Te Aukihu inside and they float him down the river. Tutsai uh, Poroporo uh, gets the scent of this, uh, smells the human, thinks the human is behind the log or behind the box and goes to eat the whole log not realizing that he swallowed Te Aukihu. Te Aukihu slides the lid off the box and cuts himself out from the inside, and that's how he slays the Tanifa. There's more to that story, obviously, because he later finds out why the Tanifa was doing what he was doing, and then realized that he was actually in the wrong, and then he goes about making amends. But the reason why this Puraka comes to mind, bro, is that you're almost saying or hoping that some of our tangata whenua who go into the police force they can be the Tiaukihu within that Tanifa. They can help, I, I, 100%. Help, help slay it from the inside. So I, I, and man, I, I really hope that that policewoman who saw you on the ground, bro, I hope she's okay. Because if, if she's living with that image, man, that would be so hard. I, you know, and, uh, by, you know, because there, there was a Okatirahui on that site. And, you know, by, uh i don't i wouldn't go against rahui means more to me than the laws of this land obviously I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know hey that is a burden that lives with her for going against that 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 okati that rahui that's what i believe that's a you know i can't be proven right there or but you know but i'd hate to live with that i'd hate what i have to live with is Going to going into the cells that day and like being feel this warm feeling of of feeling that I'd done the right thing. Now I can only imagine that she went home that day and had a cold feeling of doing the wrong thing. Mm. And hey, I'm from the south side. What you think I've never done the wrong thing in my life? I've done plenty <laughs> of wrong things, and I know what feels better. I know what feels where you know inside my spirit. I know what feels better. And that's like, that's what I'm trying to do is just kind of like live up to that, you know? And I want people inside the, the police force to be able to do that too. There were conversations that we had, because uh, it was funny, some of the police officers that I had been like, uh, like right in the face of were the people who drove me to the cells that day. And, you know, I said to them, uh, but I know I went hard on you, all of that stuff. But they said to me, they're like, we had no idea that there was a Rahui or we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't know any of that stuff. That's wrong. That's wrong. You should at least let people know. 
you know, you should at least let people know. That's just like the simplest change that that you should at least let the tangata, like everyone know, hey, uh, look, you know, uh, there's a rahui and people should understand what that is before you move against it, you know? Is there a responsibility of those people to be connected to be able to receive that message too? Like, you know, should they be sort of involved in that community to understand that or to be aware or to be in the social spaces that provide that information? Like, hey, there's a rahui here? I well, so the thing is, you know, like during this time, you know, we were at before they came, it was ages that we've been at Canal Road, like 250 odd days. And during that process, right, we had had many hui with the police, the kind of corridor about everything. And they knew full well what would happen if they came. They knew that they would meet that kind of resistance and they were trying to avoid that. And every corridor that they have, they were trying to avoid that and they were well aware of the fact Mana Whenua had placed a, um, a, a Rahui on that place. So, you know, like it's, they were well informed. We were working to come to a resolution that wasn't the way that it was that day. And I can, I can only imagine, I see what they're doing at Putiki every day that, you know, and they're appealing to, to David Parker and every single, we were doing that same thing every day. I'll put a video out trying to get the, Phil Goff to come down to site and uh, none of them would listen. They just don't show face in that space. But what happens is eventually they just send 200 police officers to move against you. Like they're not doing the bidding of Jacinda Ardern and David Parker. That's who's sending them your way, Putiki. So I want people to know that, that that's what happens. You know, it's just, uh, like I say, no one deserves to be treated like the, like the, uh, everybody who was involved with what happened at Canal Road will live with that for ages. We want to be treated like the people who went over that bridge were treated. That's all we want is, and I want the people at Putiki to be treated with that same kind of respect too. Uh, activism or action, peaceful action especially, has shaped this country tremendously. So we should be more sensitive to when these things are happening. You know, our activism has sh shaped us positively for, since the inception of Aotearoa's government. So why aren't we listening more carefully to when these people are right and not just sending people like me uh, into the system, you know? So for those listening, bro, because we've spoken about it a lot and I just kind of clicked, I should have got you to do this before, but I've just clicked that perhaps we need to just to add context to a lot of our corridor, um, especially for our tangata tiriti that are listening, but I know there are a lot of Māori listening too who probably don't know due to, you know, not, you know, being disconnected. I don't hate that word, but I can't think of another one right now. What is the rāhui and how did these come to be in place at the places that you've spoken about? Okay, so at, at Canal Road in particular, we had a komato who, who had come down. And, you know, uh, at this time, the occupation had already begun. And we took him to for a tour of, uh, of Canal Road. And like I say, at that time, there were like 46 amazing, incredibly rare uh, rako, so trees on that property. And as we went through those 46, uh, we were all able to share how rare they were, the pudako that, it, and instantly he was like, yep, nah, this is a special place. It's incredibly special when you talk about the matauranga that it represents and how important these trees are to Auckland. And he placed a rahui aukati on it. And most times if there's a rahui, you can't 
go on to that whenua. But in this instance, uh, an aukati was only kaitiaki could go on there. If you came with the intention to protect and uh, preserve the rako on that site, then you were allowed to be on the site. But if you came with the intention of doing any harm, then my understanding, you would be going against the aukati. And that can, like, you know, have wicked ramifications and not just on you. Uh, in Te Ao Māori, my understanding of makatu is it doesn't just always fall upon you, you know? And to be honest, I don't even like to think about those realms. They kind of like, they scare me a little bit. I'm getting bit. goosebumps. When you, <laughs> the too bomb. Just, yeah, so, you know, when you talk different. about those things, especially for me, um, and, you know, but there are so many people who have a deeper understanding that, uh, than me of that stuff that actually work for the police force, that when I put them in that position, they would get the heebie-jeebies too. They wouldn't want to be in that position. And, but it's not just... Uh, by tapu rings out uh, across tangata olemoana across tangata whenua. We all know what that what that is, you know. And none of us, none of us, want to go against the wishes of our ancestors in that way, you know. So, but there was huge reverence for the Okati at Canal Road. You know, there's tonga laying on the ground there, even still the 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 wood of the Zarako, but nothing has been taken and it hasn't been kept taken because of the Okati. Uh, we just can't do that. When it's lifted, maybe, but these things should be listened to. There's been Rahui that have been put on in the in the Waitakere Ranges that have been supported by the council and then people aren't to walk through there because of the Cody dieback and all of these types of things. So I don't think that Rahui should be something that the government to get, get to pick and choose when they adhere to. If mana whenua put a rahui on over land that they have mana over, then you have to respect that. You have to respect that. And mostly the police have to respect that or give the option to their people who want to respect it to be able to, you know? And now I'm glad that you circle back to the police, bro, because I did want to ask, um, I think it's important for people to realise that... You know, we said before, you can still be a police officer and you can still maintain your your mana as a person, your mana as a kaitaki, your mana as a tangata whenua. You can still do both. And I think it's it's a tool of colonization to think that you are your occupation, right? Aye, aye. They, to try and make people think you're a cop, so that's all you are. You're just a cop, so you have to do this. You're just an arborist. So, you, you know, just climb and cut your trees, boy, and shut up and sit down sort of thingy. You know, you're you're just a you know wannabe podcaster, media dude. Um, you don't even live in the area. Get out. These like things. A lot of it, yes, Fano. It can be imposter syndrome, um, but a lot of it as well. It's systematic messages that have been repeated and planted. You know, my or since since those first ships turned up. So I think it's important to actually make mention aloud that you are not your occupation. You are not defined by your job. You are a person first. A hundred percent. You know, and whatever you are, you have an influence, like you have an influence over that space. Like I've been an arborist, like I've been an arborist since I was 16 years old, took me off the streets of South Auckland. And I'm glad 
to say I've brought some of that to Arbor culture. Um, I haven't left South Auckland behind. I took that with me. I've taken Te Ao Māori with me and been able to insert that into Arbor culture. You should be able to try and like influence change by the good things about that are within you in that space. So, you know, it's incredibly important that we have tangata whenua police. It's incredibly important. But what's more important to that is that they feel safe to be proper police, that they're able to shape what we know is a racist institution into not being such a racist institution by their involvement, you know? And so, you know, open up those spaces for Māori to lead in those ways, you know? I, I, I really hope that, ha that that happens because when they go to Pūtiki, when that happens, uh, you know, we'll be resisting in the same way. And I hope that there's not another woman police officer who has to turn around while, while someone from there is being beaten, you know? Turning a blind eye to that is just not what you sign up to be a police officer for. So fast forward, bro, to, to the court scenario. Obviously, I understand there's probably stuff that you can and can't talk about. Um, what, what's, what's happening there at the moment? What's the latest? What can okay, people do so, to help? So... Um, you know, we're all facing court in July, July um, 16th. We've all got to show up to court. Uh, there's three of us left, although 10 of us were arrested on the day. Seven people basically had their charges uh, withdrawn. Three of us remain. And we all have to show up on July 16th. Uh, and, you know, I've been denied. I've got two convictions. I have a disorderly and I have a trespass. The other two... Uh, have trespasses on them and some of it doesn't make sense I mean one of them who's been trespassed didn't even make it into the tree and uh, onto the land the the female Hannah if you watch some of her videos and I'd ask everyone goes out and watches them her live streams you see them trying to cut down the tree that she's hanging from you know her life where do we, was find, them? Where do we find them we're just going to make it uh, on Hannah Looper's Facebook page or on Save Canal Road facebook page and there's some of them on instagram as well but you can see like i mean i couldn't watch all of it because she's a close friend of mine and you can see that she's scared for her life that day i had my wrist broken that day i'm taking two charges um i've hardly been able to walk since this day since that day like for more than 20 minutes and all i'm saying is that we've been punished enough uh in that way we're asking that people like write support letters uh, for our discharge without conviction. But one of the big reasons I'm asking that is because when I was like uh, 18 going 19, I actually got some uh, serious drug offenses put against me. And, uh, but like, bro, I was living in a totally different life then. Like I was uh, homeless at 14. I was in the system uh, beyond then and at 19, I was basically living in a drug house where I got um, drug convictions put against me. Fast forward 20 years later, those have all been wiped. And if I get this disorderly uh, conduct charge put back on my record, then all of this history, uh, these historic charges go back on my record as well. That will mean that I can, and I'm like, yo, look, I'm speaking to it. I know that they've been clean slated. That is not... The person I was is the same person, but I'm not living in that world anymore. And if those charges go back on my record for, for me defending, well, I'll live with it. But 
it would be incredibly detrimental to mean the loss of my employment as a lecturer, where I get to train and teach kids from South, All South Auckland this Matauranga Māori that we've spoken about, Itianera. Um, you know, it would jeopardize my future employment if I try to go anywhere else, if I started my own business. Trying to get a discharge con without conviction here is really important. Uh, and I know some people probably think, oh, well, those charges probably deserve to be on you. Cool. Think what you want. Uh, I'm proud of the person I am today, and I'd hate for those charges to affect me in the future because I'm not living that life. The other people who are facing these charges are, are in a very similar position, but not with the same types of charges or anything like that. So it's really important that, you know, we were defending things that were living and really important and really important to uh, Aotearoa. So if we can get support letters from people to say, hey, these guys do not deserve convictions for this. And for some of them, they have already served enough punishment that would be so beneficial to our court case. And I said this on the day of our last court case, even if it's not, it's so meaningful to me. It means the world to me when I hear people who like total or the co-papa because it's like, oh, okay, I didn't just take this because this is just some Fakaro that's in my mind and nobody else's. <laughs> you know, so like, I really like to like, if the judge doesn't read any of them, I couldn't care less. I read every single one of them and some of them bring tears to my eyes. So like, we're just asking for these letters of support for these kaitiaki that were involved in this, you know? And Fano, I can definitely vouch for, for the latter to the, the bro spoke to. Um, uh, having been involved in advocacy work and lobbying stuff, um, the letters of support that you get during this time, it, it really does let you know that you're on the right path because you do have those moments where you're like, fuck, is this all worth it? um well i did i can't speak for the bro but i i know that i did even though yes i know big picture macro of course it's worth it but i did have weak moments where i was like fuck is this worth it is it worth um you know losing my partner is it worth right. me being away from Fano? is it worth me potentially losing my job i've i've gone through that bro and i know mm -hmm. that, that having those conversations um and it's almost like I have to admit, I'm going to put this out there. Um, and I'm not having to dig at anyone, but almost when people come up to me in the street, they're like, man, I love what you're doing. I'm like, well, fuck, why aren't you doing it with me? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but, yeah, but at the same time, I respect that that's not everyone's place, that's not everyone's buzz, and that's not within everyone to do. Um, and if they have to channel that need, that want, and that ambition through me, then so be it. Um, and a way that you can do it is by writing these letters. So definitely, Fano, if you can. Well, not if you can. I know you can. The next moment you're available, even if it's a sentence, just fire them through. Um, we'll list the email and we'll list all the socials and stuff like that for you to get hold of uh, the bro Zane and also all his uh, whanaunga that are going through this whawhai with him. But before I let you rock and roll, is a question that I ask every guest that comes on the podcast. Um, bearing in mind you're not a mental health professional, but obviously you've been through a few wars, my bro, even, you know, before we talked about Ngārāko and everything we're doing, um, you know, you, you mentioned that you had been homeless, um, you know, and you've had, you know, things put on your record, etc. Um, there's someone listening to this right now who is feeling a bit down and out, um, they're in a bit of a hard place, 
and they might be perhaps thinking that there's no getting out of it. What would your uh, invitation, advice, or message be to those people that are listening and they're they're in that space at the moment? Uh, get busy. So, uh, and this has been the way it's been with me since I was real. Like I've always dealt with uh, mental health issues, still do. But the biggest thing for me is like finding arboriculture and finding a mahi was so important to me. Having my hands be busy and my mind like work and climbing, it actually takes my mind off the stress of the world. So it's just like, man, if you have to, I learned something uh, in the weekend, you know, korero auraru kite moana. So korero, your, your problems to water. And it spoke to me instantly because I love uh, the ocean. I, you know, I can do the same thing to Ngaraka too, but just get out and get busy. Start doing stuff, man. Because like eventually your mind leaves that place. It always comes back. You will always come back to these dark times, but just get busy, man. Get busy and start trying to do positive things. Uh, by all those hard times, all of the, like when I was sleeping in the tree every night uh, for nights on end, there were definitely nights that I questioned and was stuck in my, I'd listen to podcasts, I'd read books just to take my mind away from that thought just for a second because that relief can be just so beneficial to you sometimes. So just don't don't dwell on those things, man. Get busy. Read something. Do something. You know? It's oh, not going to go away. Awesome, bro. Where can people find you? How do we uh, write those letters to you? Um, what Facebook pages, Instagrams, whatever do we need to follow to be kept in the loop? Is there a newsletter we can sign up for? Uh, so, bro, there is... Um, um, saveourtrees.nz which is an awesome uh website to just follow our co-papa it basically puts out anything like this uh all our media that we do will be found through there save canal road trees on facebook and on instagram is really important they keep you updated with any uh co-papa relating to ngarako uh there's also a Man manarako group page which people should sign up to if they hear if they hear this calling them uh the kopapa of protecting Arako. and then you can follow me uh on instagram or on facebook to zane wedding or 420 zane on facebook gotta change that um but yeah <laughs> so yeah like by it's it's so meaningful for you to have me and just to get the word out on this thank you so much brother bro look you know, my tikahui maunga kia koe e hoa, nga mahi nui mo tō mahi, mo te hāpai i te ngāhere o tātou rākau, ngā pū rākau hoki, mai rā anō me te mohi o hoki e hara rātou, e hara e nei pū rākau he kōrero noa, engari, kei reira te mātauranga kia mohi ai tātou katoa, nōhia tātou, kōwai tātou, kōwai tātou hoki e aramoa. Uh, okay, so not only, you know, thanking you, bro, for the mahi you're doing with the trees, but for looking after our stories that not only show us where we come from, but they guide us into who we can be and where we're going as well, bro. The, the, the mahi that you're doing um, cannot be understated. Um, and yeah, I, I look forward to helping out in any way possible moving forward. I feel like we're going to be having a couple more corridor, whether that be publicly like this or just 
you know, in the DMs and figuring out things together. So I'm excited, bro. But um, yeah, I wish you all the best with your journey because I know that this mahi is can be very weighty. It's very heavy. Um, and I was stoked to see you in the weekend dangling your feet in the water um, and getting back in touch with the bro tangaro, bro. And, you know, me myself, my one that people sh you can build up to is I like to grab a rock um, and walk out as far as I can and sit down actually submerged. Um, wow. And, and kind of just sit there and kind of almost meditate. Obviously, you have to do it in parts because you got to come up for air. Or if you're a bit smart like my dad, you can grab a snorkel and just sit there for ages. Um, but that's one of my favorite things, bro, because it drowns out the noise of the world and you just... Right. Those are the things that I'm just trying to talk about, you know what I mean? It's just like exactly that, just calming that mind a little bit. So, mm. yeah, because it can be busy. So I know you, bro, and we'll speak again Thank soon. You. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Ka kite. That is Zane Wedding helping us to understand a little bit better about what's happening up in Auckland. Uh, looking after being kaitiaki for those rako that are up there that have so much meaning and contain so much stories uh, and can be a big way for us to um, remain who we are and you know maintain that Aotearoatanga and what makes Aotearoa different. Make sure you head to saveourtrees.nz online. Also, you can check out the Facebook page, Save Canal Road Trees. And make sure you head over to change.org as well to sign the petition, uh, which we're collecting to add more people, to add their uh, mana to the cause to help us sign. Um, we'll get some recognition, really, um, for the mana of those trees and the mahi that people like Zane are putting up there uh, to help us be able to save these rako, and therefore for people to be able to keep that connection to the tile and to the whenua up there make sure as always hit us up on facebook and instagram uh itunes spotify all these good platforms leave a review for us and make sure you reach out and let us know who you want us speaking to as well you can check out snippets of the podcast episode uh over on our instagram page and don't forget youtube we're now doing video uh, we're in that game now so if you want to check out the video make sure you head along and watch us on youtube and we'll be coming to vimeo very soon as well right now i'd like to wish you all an awesome day evening whichever it is you're enjoying look after yourselves and hey why not go for a walk amongst the bushes